Good morning. Good morning. I, you guys ever have those mornings it's hard to kind of wake up? Anybody feeling that this morning? Yeah, see, I can tell. We got, we got to wake up a little bit. Every good thing you have in your life, every one of them, is a gift from God. Now, if you just pause and let that sink in, that's pretty incredible. But that's what Anthony read to us in James, that every good gift is a gift from above. It's a gift from God. Every good thing that you have, not just some of them, not just the small things, not just the big things, but every good gift. And so this summer, we've been kind of journeying through this thing we call the story. And these first three weeks, we've been in creation. And I'll, I'll kind of summarize that in a minute. Next week, we, we take a turn. And we're going to kind of journey into the fall. And so I, Pastor Paul will be back. I think he's preaching next week. You can read into that whatever you want. Um, but we'll be into sin and the fall. And then we will realize our desperate need for a Savior. But as we talk about creation, I want to kind of give you a summary. Hannah, here's what we've established so far. God is. God is. He is supreme. And God gives. If there is a supreme being that sets outside of time and space and matter and spoke all things into existence, and he and he alone is what sustains all of life, gives all of life, then everything that is, he in his sovereignty has set in place. And because God is good, God gives good. He gives so good, in fact, that even after the fall, even after we mess everything up, and oh man, we have messed everything up, his goodness still shines through in the midst of the brokenness. And there's a reason for that. Because God himself is good. He is ultimately the standard of what is good. And so as God reveals himself to us, he is active in his creation. His goodness shines through even in the midst of our brokenness. And so we never escape his goodness as long as we are in his presence. And as long as he is active in creation, there will be good in his creation. Again, that is just... An incredible thought if you'll chase it but man our lives are all kinds of messy and all kinds of broken today and I mean let me give you an example this is just random last night you guys know I, I am on the the memory struggle bus okay there everybody says they have a bad memory you do not most of you just talk about because you forget a few things I forget everything and recently I had to change the password to my email and I've got one of these TVs that's smarter than me or whatever, and so I had to go back and like log back into my TV, which is ridiculous because I'm using this little remote trying to go through and set everything up. So I have to go back in, set up my account, put in a new password. So the first step is I have to put in my email address into the TV. And my wife is watching me as I'm just stuck. And I'm just froze. I could not remember a section of my email, all right? It's the same email I've had since I first had email. 
What makes it worse, my email address is just my name. <laughs> there is not one character other than my full name. And what was happening is I honestly forgot, I could not remember how to spell my own middle name. My middle name is not complex, it's Ryan. Four letters. But I could not remember if the Y came before the A or the A came before the Y, and I kept doing it and neither one looked correct. Now my wife could have helped me because she's watching this. She could have, you know, let me off the hook. She didn't know such thing. She just kind of stared at me in complete disbelief that I was so dumb. So uh, I'm just saying the fall has impacted us greatly. And yet still in the midst of this, God is so good. Even though I can't remember sometimes how to spell my own middle name, I can remember the birth of my daughter. I can remember marrying my wife. I can remember crying out and saving faith. I can remember wrestling with a call to ministry and serve. I, I can remember moments with family members who are no longer here. Gifts from the Lord. Things we just take for granted just to be able to hold on to those thoughts. We just say it is normal. But I don't control that. Gifts from the Lord, even in the midst of our brokenness. And so what we're going to focus on this morning is that God has made everything good. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll dive into the text. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Our big truth this morning, God made everything good. So what does that mean that it was good? And I, I want to give us a simple definition, a definition you can easily go back and talk to your kids and talk to one another about this week. Here's a really simple definition of good. Pleasing to the creator. The creation 
was pleasing to the Creator. Remember, value, worth, purpose are all determined by the Creator. It is all determined by Him. And creation pleased God according to His purpose and His glory. That's what it looked like before the fall. Man and all of the creation were pleasing to God according to His purpose and His glory. But see, in our sin, we will learn we will reject His authority. We will reject His authority by lowering Him, the Creator, and raising us, the creation. We do this as we reject value in Him and seek to find independent value. In other words, value in ourselves apart from Him. We will reject His purpose and seek our own. We reject His glory and instead search for our own. We will reject joy in Him and again search for joy in ourselves. As we lower the creator and we raise the creation. But before sin, before all of this happened, God declared his creation very good. Very good. And there are some implications for us. Even today, even post-fall, even in our sin, even in a now broken world, there's some implications in his creation that I want us to just pull out and just meditate on this morning. And I've got to be honest, I don't have this really nice flowing sermon. Instead, I've got a bunch of different points that I want to give you, that I want to teach to you from Scripture, and have you go back and just consider the implications of these good gifts that were given to us even before the fall and how good they must be in and of themselves. That even what we experience today in the goodness of things like life and work and family are but a taste of the goodness that those things were originally given in and one day will be restored to be and so there's three things that we want to look at as we kind of walk through this and three kind of big ideas we hold them up these implications all of these existed before the fall and that ought to say something to us and again I know we are all now broken and the impact of the fall on all of creation has spread but nevertheless all of these are precious gifts that reveal God's goodness They're not so much about the gift, but about the giver. And so the first one I want us to see is that life is a good gift from God. Before the fall, there was life. Now, again, this is one of those things we just kind of look over it because it's normal. It's hard for us to even consider existence without life. We need life to consider existence. But our lives were present before the fall. God gave Adam and Eve life before the fall. Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
So a few things that we can see about life. First, life is given. Life is given. It is not earned. You don't earn life. You, you don't find it. You don't search for it and find it. You don't stumble into it. You don't purchase life. You don't save up and buy life. Life is not accidental. It doesn't just happen. It is not independent from the creator. It is not just some random uh, assembly line that just kicks something out. Life is a good gift from God. It is precious and valuable. And your life is designed by God. Your life. Designed by him. And just real quick, if you're here and you're just struggling with depression and hurt and you are questioning the value and the worth, the goodness of your life, I just want to remind you what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Here, here's, what, here's, here's the word from the Lord for you. Listen, if you're hurting, you were formed, formed by God, even after the fall. This is in Isaiah. This is after the fall, okay? Even after the fall, you were formed, made, watch this, actively created by God. It, 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 you're no accident. You're no accident. Your very identity, your very personality, all those things that come together, it's no accident. Formed by God. And it's also worth noting that here in this, this, this creation, there is both male and female in 127. It's important for two, I think, just implications here. First, both are image bearers. Both male and female bear the image of God. What's that mean? It means there's no separation of value. Male and female equal value and worth before the Lord because, watch this, their value and worth is not found in their gender but in the creator in whose likeness they bear. And so we, we recognize in scripture there are times where there are different roles and different responsibilities and callings and all these other things, but to the core identity and value and worth, men, you are of no less value because you do not bring children into the world. Women, you are of no less value and worth because you were formed from Adam's rib. Value and worth both are image bearers. Second, gender is not a choice. That's an important thing for us today, and we need to pause and just acknowledge it for just a moment. Gender is formed. He created them. God. He formed them in the womb. God. 
This active creation, gender is not a choice. And when one rejects one's gender, one rejects their created identity. They, they essentially argue and say, the creator formed me wrong. You hear, you've, you've kind of heard it said, and you know, someone will say, well, I want to be, or I, in their perception, I am a blank, but I'm stuck in the body of a blank. I, I want to be a woman, but I'm stuck in the body of a man. I want to be a man, but I'm stuck in the body of a woman. I want to be a cheetah, but I'm stuck in the body of a man. I want to be a planet, but I'm stuck in the body of a man. See, watch. The problem here isn't just physics. The problem isn't physical. Here is the real root issue. You're wrestling with something that's deeply important. You're wrestling with the reality that you are the creation. And God is the creator. You were created by a creator who is supreme. He is God, and you and I are not. And so, you can, listen, each one of us, we can do what Adam and Eve did. We can hide. And we can try to change all that is in our ability to change. But who we are will always be determined by the Creator. He determines who we are. He determines our value because He is God. And life is given and sustained by Him because He's the Creator. And so let's chase another important question that we've got to ask out of this. Well, okay, if God has formed us and our very identity, our very gender, our very life is created by Him in active creation, then when were you formed? When were you given life? That's also an important question for us today. And we already read in Isaiah 44, verse 24, that you were formed in the womb. But was that life? Do you have life at that point? And when does life begin? And who decides when life begins? And so we live in a world... They won't say it quite like this, and we may not say it quite like this, but this is what we're wrestling with. We live in a world that wants to define life by independence. It's life by independence. Now, here's what this means. Life is measured by their ability to be independent. Maybe that's physical. Maybe that's the physical ability of their eyes, their heart, some physical ability. Maybe we want to measure life by their ability to rationalize their cognitive ability, what they can think through. But there's such root problems in trying to measure life by physical or cognitive ability. For one, 
independence is not present until well after birth. If you don't think that's true, take a one-year-old and just leave them in the woods and see what happens. They're not physically strong enough. They're not cognitively developed enough. Do you know that your brains do not even really finish in developing until well late into your adolescence, almost your early 20s? If that's the case, and you're going to say, no, you've got to be fully developed, now you're talking like 20 years old. Now, listen, I need you to get this. This is important. And so when we try to measure life by our own definitions, we begin to do some really ridiculous things. And second, independence is an illusion. Do you realize that? When, when we measure life by an illusion of independence, what we're essentially doing is elevating the creation, our abilities, and we're minimizing the creator, his design, his sovereignty, his will. And so let me just be really frank with us, the church, this morning. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are to deny or discredit life by such an ignorant definition? By our own decision, by our own will. I mean, really, that's, that's a good question. It's not just kind of, kind of some saying. Who do you think you are? Creation. That you get to decide what is life? From the moment we are in the womb, God proclaims life. Life. And there's so many places in Scripture I could take you and I could show you this. I mean, there are many different places. My favorite is in Exodus 21. All right? And my, the reason it's my favorite is because inside I'm just like a middle school. I, I am. I'm a middle schooler. And so in Exodus 21, this is right after the Ten Commandments, God is giving the laws to the nation of Israel, and he's kind of unpacking these things. And Exodus 21 is where we start getting into things that you're like, how did that make it into Scripture? Right? And let's just be honest. We read that and we think, one of my favorites is in verse 28. This is going to be really helpful for you this morning. When an ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. And its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. That has nothing to do with anything we're talking about this morning. Okay? I just, I just, it's, it's there. It's a fun verse. I wanted to share it with you. Uh, I don't, I don't even, I mean, just, I don't know if you have any ox. Just, there it is. I like Exodus 21 because I'm in middle school. Okay? I mean, that's just what I'm, I'm owning it. And not only this, by the way, this is just random. If you think about that for us today, we do exactly the opposite, right? The animal's always innocent and the person's always liable, but you can do whatever you want with that. All right, anyway. All right. A few verses before this in verse 22, I want to read you one of these laws, and I want you to listen to God's reasoning. By the way, this is God speaking as he speaks to Moses. Verse 22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. All right, so here's the scenario. Fight breaks out. 
Guy hits the pregnant woman, causes the pregnant woman to go into delivery and deliver the baby. Baby comes out, baby's fine, no harm, then there's a fine. Work it out with the husband, pay the fine, but we're good, okay? Now listen to what the Lord says next. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now you can go back and you can study the Hebrew and you can really chase into those words life and I'll I'll tell you what they mean. They mean life. Watch. Life for life. Notice something. This is really important. Now pay attention. God with no regard to ability whatsoever. He said, well, if their heart was this size, or if they've got this many toes, or if they're this far along, or if they can reason and they can think, if they can talk. No, no, no. With no regard to ability, the baby in the womb is a life. Thus says the Lord. Let's just be really honest then. If we use our abilities to take that baby's life that's what the bible calls murder now i want to pause and i just want to acknowledge something my guess and statistically speaking in a room this size some of you have had an abortion and as one of the elders of our church i want to make sure you understand something we love you And you are welcome here. But your abortion is sin. Just like the rest of us have sin. And as a church, regardless what pressure we must face, we must acknowledge sin. It's murder. It is taking the life that was designed by God using your ability to do so. And my goal is not to beat you down. But if you sit there and you feel broken and shame at the same time like the rest of us in our sin, turn your eyes to Jesus who loved you enough to pay the penalty for your sin so that you might be restored and reconciled into the family of God and be wowed. Not shamed in your sin, but wowed by the grace of God and the love of God that would give the life of his son for you. And at Trust Cities, we want to do both of those things. Hold up the grace and the love of God, but without discrediting the sin that robs him of the worship and the glory he is due. It's the same if you take your own life. It's the same in the case of suicide. Why? Because it is not your life to take, even your own. Second, life is stewarded. God, the creator, gives us life. He sustains our life, and it is our responsibility to steward what is given to us. He is supreme. Every life conceived, formed, is designed by him, for him. He is the potter, we are the clay. We exist, we live 
for him. We were created for him. And if in saving faith you have trusted in Jesus, watch this, you have been redeemed for him. Your life is no longer your own, but you have been purchased by the very blood of Jesus. You have not just been set free to yourself. You were once slaves in your sin. And now you are slaves in righteousness. What does that mean? That means you were once set apart, left to yourself. And you have been set free from the bondage of your sin and yourself. And you have been given freedom. Watch this. Not in yourself. That's back there. But freedom in Christ. Freedom in Jesus. Our life is not our own. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Oh Lord, you are our Father. Notice the creation terminology. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. When we come back into the fall, we'll jump back into Romans, and we'll pick back up in Romans 9, and Paul makes this point in chapter 9, verse 20. Who are you, creation? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Let me give you an example that happens in the life of Jesus that I think is incredibly telling in this. Helps us kind of capture what is meant as we live our life for him and we steward those lives. In John chapter 9, there's a story of a blind man. He is blind since birth. He has never seen. All he knows is darkness. This is first century Israel. There's not a lot of assistance. There's no programs. He's a beggar. His family do the best they can to take care of him, to help him, to, re- excuse me, to resource him. But it is an incredibly hard life. And in verse 2, the disciples, not, not the heathens, the disciples, ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now notice the implication. Notice the flawed assumption. Notice the thought about independence and how life is measured. Someone must have messed up because he's not normal. His abilities are lacking, so there must be some sin. There must be something wrong here. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, this man who is blind, who has faced suffering and hardship since birth, he didn't get there because of his merit or what he chose, or he didn't get there because of the sin of his parents or any of that stuff. The suffering that this man lived in since birth was part of God's design. 
Why? Why? Jesus says that the works of God might be displayed in him. And do you know what happens next? Jesus heals the blind man. For the first time ever in his life, the man sees. Sees. And it is incredible. And his neighbors couldn't believe it in verse 8. They can't get their mind around it. They see him and they're like, dude, you got to be a twin. That can't be you. And he's screaming, it's me. It's me. This is happening right here in John chapter 9. He kept saying, I am the man. I was blind, but now I see. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus. And I'm telling you, as a blind man, I, I would have my fake mic, I would drop it, and I would just, that's it. <laughs> I don't know how old he is, I'm just saying, to be able to have that moment, to proclaim the glory of God at that stage in front of Christ himself to be recorded in scripture for thousands of years for the church to be encouraged. That'd be enough for me. Mic drop, I'm, what a life. What a life. When we try to measure life, by our ability, our physical ability, our cognitive ability, we not only rob the worship that is due the Creator, we belittle our brothers and sisters and their very impact they have on the kingdom of God. Shame on us when we do it. What a life this blind man lived. This is the gift of our lives. What we see right here with this blind man to worship the creator with our very life. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or we are away, we make it our aim to please him, the creator. The supreme purpose of our life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Forever. To belittle life is to rob God of the worship and glory He is due. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. To God, which is your spiritual worship. Your life is not your own. You steward your life. And we do so because life is revealing. Life is revealing. Our lives give testimony to the very goodness of God because there is no good found in us apart from the Creator. And even in the simple ways we live life, even in the most broken, fallen life, we cannot help but to proclaim the goodness of the Creator. We are the living canvas for the Creator. And it is wowing. All right, 
So here's where we're at. I've got like four hours of stuff left to say, all right? And we're, we're not going to get through all of it. We're just going to get through a few parts, and, and, and we're just going to kind of have fun. But I want to go to the next big idea, okay? So I'll listen, I love you guys. I know you want to eat lunch, so I'm going to cut it to two hours, and we'll be good, all right? <laughs> big idea number two, all right? Work is a good gift from God. I didn't think I'd get any amens on that. But work <laughs> is a good gift from God. Before the fall, there was work. Before the fall, before sin, there was work. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and God said to them, subdue, work, the earth. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Work is meaningful and God-honoring. Now, part of the reason we don't see work as meaningful and God-honoring is because in our brokenness and in our secular state, we, we can't really quite separate work from, like, job and vocation. We struggle to do that. Um, as we've kind of worked and we use money to exchange, we, we've made work so much about I do this for the incentive of the money that comes. But I want you to have a biblical definition of work. So this is kind of what biblical definition of work, this is the idea. Work is diligent obedience to God's calling. We always, always want to make the word calling some really like kind of mystical word. It just means to be set apart. If you have life given to you by the creator, you have been set apart for his purpose that becomes your work that is your work more than your job or more than those other things now those things merge together as we live and work is the diligent obedience to God's calling that's what we see in Eden as they are charged to tend to the creation but even in the fallen world we are called to conform to follow Jesus to conform to Christ to follow him and as his disciples, to be his ambassadors, to make disciples. This is the work given to us. This is our calling. And one of the things that's happening right now in kind of modern Western churches, there seems to be this war that is being placed on effort, on the idea of work. And to get there, we, we're kind of taking a, we're making a, a really just taking a broken view of grace, uh, a perversion of grace, and we're essentially saying it is all grace, so I, I, I do nothing. By the way, it is all grace. That is your position in Christ. He does it all. But as he does it all, with everything that we have, not of ourselves because we know we can't do that, we long, we strive to be more like Christ. Those two things work together. This is why James can say faith without works is dead. They're inseparably bound. And just if you're in that camp, just let me give you this as a thought. Consider your New Testament. After the four Gospels, from Acts all the way to Revelation, and read through your New Testament and see how much of your New Testament is devoted to call the Christian to Christian living. It's to call the Christian to effort, to work, 
not in and of themselves, but a grace-filled work as they pursue Christ's likeness. See, the work of obedience, that's not our position. The work of obedience is finding joy in our position. It's just resting in who Christ is and who he says he is. And our work is meaningful and God-honoring. Second, our work is collaborative creation. Just quickly, our work allows us to collaborate with God's work. He doesn't need us. We know that, right? He doesn't need us to do anything. But we are blessed to be part. And our lives get to be used as part of something that is eternally life-changing for others. It gets to be part of giving him glory and honor. We get to collaborate in creation, even back to the garden. As they tend the garden, they become part of the very creation of God. Not because they're needed. God doesn't need them. It is a blessing to be part of this. Let me give you a real practical example in the life of the church. This is a letter I received this week from one of our partners that as a church we support. Okay? Can't tell you his name, can't tell you where he's at. But he writes to us and he says, please keep praying for us. The situation is more and more difficult. Plenty of churches in neighboring cities and providences have been forcibly closed. Children and youth ministry are strictly forbidden by the government. This persecution may last a long time. I think we are entering the winter season. For my church and our ministry, it is safe for now. But I am not sure what will happen in the months to come. Please pray for us. If you've given one penny to give the go, in a very practical level, you're part of that with the church. If you've prayed one prayer for the missionaries and the partners we have as part of church, you're part of that as the local body. God letting us be part of things on the other side of the world that we may never see, we may never touch. We are collaborating together, not because he needs us, but it is for our good and our blessing because he is good. Finally, the work is revealing. We serve a creator. We do not live for ourselves, and our work gives testimony to this. Finally, our third big idea, and this is one you guys can unpack and chase a little bit more through the week. Family is a good gift from God. Before the fall, there was family. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. As they do, don't, don't get distracted. Don't check out just yet. Just make sure you stay with this. This is really cool. The family is a good gift from God. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Man was not dissatisfied with God's creation. God is saying, it pleases me for there to be companionship in the family and so family is designed for companionship it is back to the whole purpose and pursuit of marriage watch this if you're married in this room companionship is not something that just happens to you you don't wait for it to happen it is not an emotion you fall into companionship is what you pursue it's what you pursue it is the calling of your marriage and of your family that is by the way true in the household family dynamic that's also true in our church family dynamic 
I mean, it just is. We pursue and engage one another. Can I just be honest? 20 years of ministry, here's something to think about. I don't think the church today in the stumbling blocks of individualism pursue one another with the diligence and the engagement that they used to. I think we're getting worse at that. Of dying to ourselves and seeing the body. And I'm not even just talking about the program stuff. I'm just talking about life together. And it gets harder for us. And by the way, you can, you can see it in little things within the church structure all the time. Here's two examples every one of you will identify with. All right, I'm not, if this is you, I'm not trying to step on your toes, just collectively us, right? Two things really quick. If, if you're honest, right now, it, this is true for me, our church does more to communicate to you than has ever happened before. You know, you're not just got a bulletin when you walk in and the 90-second news if you show up early enough to hear it. You, you, don't, you don't just have those things. You've got emails that go out all the time, websites and everything else. And here's what, here's what people say. Well, I don't like email. If your view of the church is we are an organization that sells something to you, I get it. But if your view of the church is we are a family in which I engage and pursue, then you come find time to sit down at six and you have family dinner, right? You take five minutes and go to the website news page and check it out. You look on your app occasionally. You actually read the elder letter when it comes out. Maybe not even because you want to, but because it's family and you're committed to one another. We show up and we're in this room ready to worship at 930, not because it's easy, I know it's not easy. And if you're in kids' workers, you get here 15 minutes before you're supposed to so that everybody else can get back in and worship. Not because it's easy, but because you're committed to one another, because we're not just some organization trying to sell something. We are a family. And yes, we will take the gospel out to the lost, and we will bend over backwards to proclaim the gospel. But within the context of community, there is engagement because companionship is built through those structures. Family is life-giving. Think about this. Through the family context, God lets us be part of bringing life into the world. Isn't he good? Family, finally, is revealing. And church, I want you to hear this. It's the final thought. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Paul writes, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery of the family, it is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our family reveals the very gospel. That Christ would look out and see in the brokenness a bride that he would redeem for himself. And he would love unconditionally. And in just a moment, the church is going to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship as we acknowledge that God is good. But if you're here and there's never been a point in time for you to acknowledge that your life has been given to you and your sin has separated you from the purpose of that life and your life is no longer left to yourself pleasing to the Lord, but Christ 
died for you, paying the penalty for your sin, offering reconciliation that you might stand before the Creator, pleasing, redeemed in Jesus. If none of that makes sense to you, if today, right now, where you sit, the Holy Spirit has changed your heart and you just got to tell somebody, either way, as we sing this song right out these doors to your left, just get up quietly, no one... It's going to follow you. No one's going to make a big deal. Right out these doors to your left, there's an area called the hub. There are counselors out there that want to talk to you. They want to talk to you. But for the rest of us, as we sing this song, may the words that Paul said to Timothy be on our minds. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Would you stand and would you sing? Would you worship?